Father, this morning we want to thank you for our television audience by way of radio and all means this morning. We thank you for the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem and the communities, into the pulpits and the churches this morning as we triumphantly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here in our attempts to please God. As we learned in our Sunday school class today, there's so much spiritual darkness in the world, so many powers working against us and the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that your triumphant entry into our hearts and our lives, dispel the darkness, enable the light of God's Holy Spirit to enter into our hearts and lives. This we ask as you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, if you're joining us by way of television, the scripture is taken from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And I'm going to ask my sidekick of nearly 47 years to um, share with you uh, my beloved wife, my better half, Christine Ann Tabor. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 and following. All right, good morning, everybody. Start with verse 28, Luke chapter 19. And when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that was called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and who found it as they told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their garments on the road. And he was now drawn near at the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here ends the reading. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I did a different late sermon on scripture for late sermon, but it has poems in it, so it still counts. I, I did mine on Mark 11, chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. An interesting thing about this this uh, scripture in Mark 11, 1 through 11, 
I brought up that Mark is not entered, is not mentioned by name in any of the scriptures other than Mark. There's mentioned twice. The only other biblical mention of Mark by name, excuse me, is Mark 14, uh, verse 51 and 52. I did a little research in it, and I realized that how did Mark get connected to Jesus? Most likely, he started following him as a child. They had a group of kids that followed Jesus around, and that's, that's where he probably was. Jesus sent two disciples into the village they were passing to get him an unbroken colt that had not been written. The fact that he, he rode an unwritten colt, donkey, shows supremacy, actually shows supremacy all the world and creation. Entering a cult, entering Jerusalem on a, on a horse or a cult, means he, he was powerful, he was victorious. If he'd chosen a, a horse, that they would have taken on the wrong way. That means that he entered Jerusalem as a conquering warrior, but he'd not. He chose the humble donkey. That means he entered as the king of Jesus knew his crucifixion was soon to follow, so he just wanted to make sure everything was falling into place right. He sent two disciples to get the call, the guy's call. He got on that. That was two miles from Jerusalem, by the way. But as these disciples were in time this cult, they had people ask them, What are you doing? They answered that the Lord needed it. And they'll bring it back shortly. You know what? That that displayed a lot of faith and security in that eye by answering like that. They're like, no, it's okay. The Lord needs it, we'll bring it back, basically is what they said. The worthy note here to make is that Jesus walked everywhere he went. Every other place he walked. When he wanted to enter Jerusalem, he wanted to enter as a king. He wanted to enter on the back of the Bringing the colt back to Jesus, he went, he, he got on, they went to, uh, Beth, to Jerusalem, to Bethany. And this actually fulfilled prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 reads that a king will come lowly, riding on a donkey, the foal, or donkey. The king will come. And I thought about this. And taking a stranger's donkey and tied up on the street, that's the modern equivalent of us jumping into a car, a stranger's car, that has the keys up to it. I thought it took a lot of faith to get away with that. <laughs> on the way to Jerusalem, people ran out, ran out ahead of them, yelling, Hosanna! And blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is translated save now. Hosanna can be used either as part of a praise or prayer. And finally, shouts of, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. I point out that Jesus revealed his royalty. Don't worry. On the Mount of Olives, he, he, he displayed it to the disciples. Only other place he revealed himself as a king was when he wrote the Samuel into Jerusalem. Other time was when in his trial before he was crucified, 
Prepare to ask him, are you a king? He says, it is as you say. Other than that, that king had nothing to do with being a king. Tough. But riding into Jerusalem like that meant that he was a king. It was weird that the crowds threw palms in front of him and shouted uh, about the kingdom of heaven. Because on that Monday, they were shouting, yeah, hallelujah, Hosanna, good for you, Jesus, you're coming as king. That very next Friday, they would shout, crucify him. The same crowd that were worshiping as king, that later that week, they would ask for crucifixion. In our last verse, verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem as king went on, on back an animal. He went straight to the temple courts. He looked at them. Then he carried on and went to Bethany to spend the night. Here, here in, uh, here in, uh, is in my scripture, my love. Thank, Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chris. If you were following along, way of television, if you had a radio, the Revised Standard Version here at all of it, and at this church, you'll notice it. Triumphant entry into Jerusalem is also recorded in Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter, verses 1 to 11, and, and Mark's Gospel, as Mike shared, and then also in John's Gospel, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, in, in Luke's Gospel. It's a great study to learn of the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's a great study to realize human nature, how, as Mike was sharing, how from one Sunday to the following Friday, human nature can be so fickle. It can be praising the Lord one day, and it can be crying out, crucify him just a few days later, opposing him 148, and it will confirm what, what many things that we look forward to coming week. But would you stand with me now and just stand with me in a word of prayer before we go to the Lord in the scripture here. Father, we want to stand on your promises today as we stretch and as we prepare for a message. I just pray that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth will be acceptable and feel, Lord. That this coming week, as we ponder anew the historic fact of Jesus riding in on the cold, the bowl of the donkey, that we will be riding, we will be communicating by way of telephone and by way of our personality in many familiar formats, but help us to be truly aware of the fact that we are standing on your promises, your word. As the world says, this is a holy week. We pray that it would be holy in many ways. Holy in conversation. In our thoughts, and our deeds, and in our intents. We pray this in Jesus' name for those by way of television. We pray for one of our technicians, Robin Parson, who has been tested for COVID. And for the results, we pray that negative. We pray for other members of our congregation that have cleared themselves with shots. and We pray that this would be a real awakening this coming week. 
We pray, Father, that as churches resume their worship services, as they resume Holy Week, and as people go back, that they would be aware of what's going on in the world. We pray for deliverance. We pray for the chaos that's going on in the world, and not only in our so-called United States, but throughout the world as we we see catastrophe after catastrophe. Birth pains that the world is experiencing. Help us to be aware not so much of the undertaker, but the uppertaker, as things seem to be getting worse. Things are coming to a close. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a, a powerful portion of scripture this morning that's being preached on by nearly 90-some percent of the um, churches in our land and the world because it's an it's a anchor point. Palm Sunday. We have palm branches and in Israel, people are taking, you know, the palm branches from the various marshes and areas, and they're limited quantity to real palm branches, and they're utilizing them and shaking, shaking them in the air and saying, um, praise the Lord, blessed is the one that cometh in the name of the Lord our God. I recently, this morning, was touched by our Sunday school class. I I hope that more people will conscientiously come to our Sunday school class. My pastor, Ivan Sims, does a wonderful job, and he spoke on, on various darknesses that we have in our lives. And he um, dealt with the darkness. Darkness is a person. Darkness is a, is a power. Darkness is a preference. And darkness is a place. And he elaborated on those points. But ultimately, you and I are, we are called to examine ourselves, not only at the beginning of the day, but at the end of the day. Are we pleasing God? Are we pleasing God? Point number one this morning, as I examine the scripture, let us mark for one thing in these, these verses, that the perfect knowledge, perfect knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see Jesus sending two, two of his disciples to a village and telling them that they would find at the entrance of this village a colt tied. A colt where whereon yet never one sat. Growing up on the farm I had the experiences of riding cattle and little colts, donkeys. At one time we had some thirty little Shetland ponies. And initially, when we rode these ponies, they felt that they should not be saddled. And they bucked, and oftentimes they buck us off. Here we find a colt that was tied, whereupon the scripture says, never one had ever sat. And we see Jesus here describing what they would see and hear, and you can imagine. You probably had an experience or two on a, on a horse or some animal. A friend of mine raised donkeys with as much confidence as if the whole transaction had been pre
previously arranged. Jesus had sent these disciples to an individual, but had he previously arranged? I did not. In short, Jesus speaks like one to whom all things were naked and all things were open. Jesus spoke like, like one whose eyes were in every place, like one who knew the things unseen as well as things seen. We need to ponder that for a while in our own hearts and minds. An attentive reader will observe the same thing in other parts of the Gospels. We are told in one place that Jesus knew all our thoughts. Can you ponder this morning by way of television or radio or YouTube or other means of communication that God knows your thoughts? We are told in a number of places that Jesus knew the thoughts of his enemies. We are told in another spot that Jesus knew what was in us, what was in us. We are told in another that Jesus knew from the very beginning they were who they were that believed not and who would betray him, according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, John chapter 2, 25, John chapter 6, verse 64, and knowledge, knowledge like this is a very peculiar attribute of God, but it is an attribute. God and it's the attribute of Jesus. Passages like these are, are meant to remind you and I that us that the person who Christ Jesus was, that he was not only a man, he was not only human, but he was truly divine. He, this Jesus, is also God blessed forever, according to Romans chapter 9, verse 5. The very thought, the very thought of Christ's perfect knowledge and alarm sinners, alarm sinners, and awaken them to a sense of repentance. The great head of the church, Jesus, knows them and all their doings, all their comings, and all their goings. The judge of all sees them continually and, and marks down all, all our ways. According to Job chapter 34, 22, there is no darkness where the workers of iniquity can hide themselves. We cannot hide ourselves. If they go into the secret chambers, the eyes of Christ are there. If they privately scheme villainy and plot wickedness, Christ knows it, and, and Christ observes it. If they speak secretly against the righteous, Christ hears. They may deceive us and themselves all life long, but they cannot deceive Christ. A day comes when God, when God will judge the secrets of our hearts by Jesus Christ, according to the Gospel, Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Now the very thought, the thought of Christ's perfect knowledge should comfort all true-hearted, genuine Christians and quicken them to increase the diligence the diligence in their good works. For the Master's eye is always upon us. Jesus knows. 
Jesus knows where we dwell and what our daily trials are. The valleys we go through, the mountains we climb, and who are our companions? There is not a word in our mouths or a thought in our hearts that Jesus knows altogether. Let them take courage when they are slandered or misunderstood or misrepresented by the world. It matters nothing so long as they can say, according to John chapter 21, verse 17, Thou, Thou, Lord, who knowest all things, knowest that I love thee. Let them walk unsteadily in the narrow way and not for the sign to the right or the left. And when sinners entice them, oftentimes I get calls or letters from people saying, what do you do? What is your suggestion, your counsel against some of my peers that counsel me towards unrighteousness? Or when a weak brethren says, spare thyself, let them reply that my master, my master is looking at me and I desire to live and move and do as in the sight of Christ. Let us mark for another thing in this passage the publicity, the publicity of our Lord's last entry into Jerusalem. We're told of his riding in on a colt like a king, like a king visiting his, his capital or a conqueror returning in triumph to his native land. We read of a, a multitude, a multitude of, of disciples surrounding Jesus as he rode into the city. They're rejoicing and they're, they're praising God with a, with a loud voice. And the whole history is strikingly unlike the general, the general tenor of the Lord's life. It seems like it's kind of the opposite side of the coin. On other occasions, we see Jesus withdrawing from the public observation, retiring into the wilderness, charging those whom he healed to tell no one, no one of what he has done. But on this present occasion, all is changed. On this marker of the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, there's no reserve. Reserve is completely thrown aside. Jesus seems to court, court public opinion. Notice, Jesus appears desirous of, of all to see him and that they should see him and, and should mark and should note and should observe what he did. And the reasons of our Lord's conduct at this crisis of his ministry at first sight may appear hard to discover but on, on calm reflection, they are very clear and very plain. Jesus knew that the time had come. The time had come when he was to die for sinners, such as you and I on the, on the cross. Jesus. Jesus was to be the Messiah. Jesus was to be the Savior. Jesus was to be the sacrificial lamb. That his body would 
be broken, that his blood would be shed, that Jesus worked as the great prophet so far as his earthly ministry was concerned, was almost finished and to be completed. Jesus' work as the sacrifice for sin and substitute for sinners, the substitute for you and I, remained to be accomplished. And before giving himself, giving himself up as a sacrifice, Jesus desired to draw the attention, the attention of the whole Jewish nation to himself and ultimately the universe to himself. The Lamb of God was about to be slain. The great sin offering was about to be killed. And it was meet that the very eyes of all Israel should be fixed upon Jesus. This great thing was not to be done in a corner. Forever let us bless God that the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was so widely known and and such a public an event, had Jesus been suddenly stoned in some popular tumult, or had he been privately beheaded like John the Baptist or placed in prison, there never would have been wanting Jewish and Gentile unbelievers who would have denied that the Son of God had died at all. But the wisdom of God so ordered events that such a denial was rendered impossible. Whatever people may think of the doctrine of Christ's atoning death, they can never deny the fact that Christ died. Christ publicly he was seen, publicly he was heard in the city until the day that he was betrayed. Publicly Jesus was brought before the high priest and publicly before Pilate and publicly he was condemned. Publicly he was led forth to Calvary, and, and publicly he was nailed to the cross. In the cornerstone and the crowning event in our Lord's ministry was his death, was his death for sinners such as you and I. And of all the events of Jesus' ministry, that death was the one most public and the one witnessed by the greatest number of people the greatest number of the Jews. And that death was, according to John chapter 6, verse 51, that his death was the life of the world. And let us leave this whole passage as we prepare for partaking of the body and blood of Christ. Let us leave this passage with the cheering, with the cheering, it's a cheering reflection that the joy of Christ's disciples at his entry into Jerusalem, when he came to be crucified, will prove nothing, nothing compared to the joy of his people when he comes again to reign. That first joy, that first joy was broken off and was exchanged for sorrow and was exchanged for bitter tears. But the second joy, the second joy shall be a joy forevermore. That first joy was often interrupted by bitter sneers, sneers of enemies who were plotting mischief. And the second joy shall be liable to no such rude interruptions. Not a word shall be said against the King of kings and the Lord of lords when he comes to Jerusalem again for the second time. According to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, 
before him, before Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Father, this morning, those by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook, as they pondered this triumphant observance of Jesus Christ so many years ago, let it be noted that this public entry into Jerusalem, which we read of here, is, is, is one of the few events in our Lord's history which all, which all of the four gospel writers relate to. There's evidently an importance about it is a step in our Lord's earthly ministry which we should not overlook as we prepare for Holy Communion this morning, Lord. We thank you for those by way of television, radio. Let us prepare our hearts by admitting our sin. Would you join me in a prayer? Dear Jesus, forgive my sins. I've sinned in things I've done and left undone by commission and by omission. Come into my heart and life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Bless these elements which represent your body broken for me and your blood shed for me. Would you join me in our offertory prayer before we turn in our purple hymnals to verses pages 9 to 11? Let us turn to our offertory prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, as we bring our gifts and lay them at your altar, we remember the crowds in Jerusalem who laid their cloaks on the road, shouting Hosanna as Jesus passed. We know they were looking for a Messiah who is different from who you sent Jesus to be. Not one of political power and military might, but one who came in compassion and mercy to heal love and save. Search our hearts that we might be confident that the Messiah for whom we long is the one we know we need. Jesus Christ, your anointed one, whose name we pray. Amen. Turn to our communion and our closing hymn 148 red hymnals. Let us turn in our purple hymnals, our purple hymnals through pages 9 to 11 please. It's been a while since we publicly proclaimed our dependence on Jesus Christ and had our hymnals and our Bibles distributed. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with all your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the kind had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. 
by the baptism of the suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and the Holy Spirit. And on that night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave his to his disciples, and said, Hey, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink. Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty Father, now and forevermore. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf, the bread which we break, is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. The body and blood of Christ given for you. Amen. And the blood of Christ given for you. Amen. We ask that you come comfortably up the center aisle and leave by the side of the aisle and if you want to you can kneel and participate in the Lord's communion otherwise if you want to go back to your pew and grab the elements we ask that you just take the first um, cellophane wrapper off that gets you to the bread the second one gets you to the grape juice so at this time said, I am the bread of life, they will come to me, shall not hunger, and they will believe in me. 
said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. Jesus also said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus also said, I am the vine, you are the branches. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Arise and go in peace, and may the bread of heaven nourish your soul under everlasting life. Arise and go in peace, and in his service may you find perfect freedom. Arise and go in peace, and may the light of the world shine in your pathway and in your heart forever. Arise and go in peace, and may you ever walk in the way of life and Arise and go in peace, and may the glory of your life be the fruits of the Spirit. Amen. Your time, you're in the pews or at the altar. At this time, I'm
I always want to thank you right now for, for the way you rode into Jerusalem as the king. You're not the king of Jerusalem, Lord. You're the king of our hearts. You're the king of every heart. Let's all reach out to unsafe loved ones or anybody else we know. Be unafraid to share your, your message of love, Lord, and faith. We need to be able to do that whenever and wherever we are. I just want to pray for our family, any family members or friend that's in distress or having medical problems. And I want to also thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to welcome our new lives in this world, Lord. In your holy name, I pray Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And um, Kathy, would you like to maybe do a little ahead? 
done, how many would be here in Brighton? Yes. Maybe by a show of hands, how many would be here? Definitely, definitely on Friday at 12 o'clock. Okay, Mike, what time do you go to work? Friday. Yeah. So we'll be at, on Friday at 12 o'clock. We've done this for 23 years, I believe. So, I don't know, Chris, does that work for your schedule? Okay, so we may either have music or something, but 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Any other announcements? Any clarification and any announcements that are giving? We wish God's blessing to buy Gary and Kathy as you take out this week. Minot. Enjoy your station. Clinic up in Minot. Common Sandy was full of tickets. a lot of um, news bites by radio and television on, on what this week truly means. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be probably...